Welcome to Biology for Bastards, teaching biology in the most profane way you've ever seen or heard. I'm your host, John Doty. Thanks for listening. We are going through some evolution shit, and we are all the way up to chapter 10, which is all about sex. But before we get into that, we do have today's ad, and today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. All right, that shit's out of the way. On to the sex. So we are going to talk about why the fuck sex exists. And that's a big question. It's a big thing. Like, why the hell does this happen? So before we do that, we have to get into, you know, how sex works, which we're not going to talk about the mechanics of it because that's not the point. We're going to talk about why the fuck are there males and females. So with individuals, we have gametes. Gametes are reproductive cells, and there's this idea called anisogamy. And what that is, anisogamy is a dimorphism in gamete size. Now, dimorphism just means there's two different varieties. So we have the small and mobile sperm. We have the large and immobile egg. And there's two ways that a gamete can have high fitness. You could be large and very well provisioned, have all the shit you need, but that's going to inhibit movement. Or the other way is you can be small and mobile, which enhances your ability to find and fertilize the large immobile gamete. And the way we boil shit down is males make the small gamete, females make the large one. That's it. So males make sperm or pollen or the smaller one. Females make the larger, typically immobile, not always, but typically immobile gametes. So kind of getting into some shit Um, with the males and the females we have you know they mate they do their shit and babies happen so what they're going for is this idea of reproductive assurance which is the increased chance of successful reproduction when potential mates are rare or absent now sex kind of goes against reproductive assurance because you've got to find a mate Reproductive assurance favors hermaphrodism. Hermaphroditism. Whatever the fuck. There's too many letters and too long of a word. But with hermaphrodites, each individual will have both male and female gonads. So they'll be able to make both male and female gametes. Now kind of diving a little more into differentiating males and females. A lot of traits are going to be sexually dimorphic, which means they are expressed differently in males versus in females. How the hell does this happen? Well, it can evolve when selection favors the expression of a trait to be different in males and females. This is called sexually antagonistic selection. And there's a bunch of different traits out there that we kind of lump into this sexually dimorphic shit. Basically, if you can tell the difference between male and female by a trait, it's sexually dimorphic. 
Now, there are some genetic constraints that could potentially prevent a trait from evolving sexual dimorphism. We're not going to get into that, but we're focusing on, you know, the differences and how the shit works. So, with this sexually dimorphism, we can get sexual selection to occur. So, sexual selection is selection caused by the competition for mates among individuals of the same sex. That's the definition of sexual selection. And with sexual selection, you have two different sexual traits that can be affected. You can have primary sexual traits and your secondary sexual traits. Your primary, those are your gonads, your genitalia, the functional parts, the shit that gets the job done. Secondary traits are anything that differs between the sexes but does not play a direct role in reproduction. So primary is the, you know, the P's, the V's, the shit that gets the job done, and the secondary traits are everything else. Now, a trait can evolve by sexual selection even if it... Sorry, I was getting ahead of myself. A trait can evolve by natural... Fuck! A trait can evolve by sexual selection if it increases a male's overall fitness, even if it decreases survival. So if it fucks the dude up to the point where he dies earlier than others who don't have it, but it increases the number of babies he can make, that trait can evolve. Now you might be wondering, why are males sexually selected? Okay, well, sexual selection is a lot more common and a lot more intense on males than on females. And it has to do with what's summed up as Batesman's principle. So with females, a trait that increases the number of mates she can acquire has no fitness advantage because she's got to make the baby and the egg and care for her, all that shit. That takes a lot of energy. Once she has a limited number of eggs, once those eggs are doing its thing, she's kind of like cut off. She can't make any more babies for the moment. Now with males, if you have a trait that increases the number of mates that he can acquire, that is going to be favored by selection. So it's going to spread. Because again, fuck this one, and he can go fuck this one, and they're all pregnant at the same time, and he can just go and spread his shit. So with males, there's going to be a lot more pressure put on by sexual selection. And when you get down to it, you have the operational sex ratio. And that's just the number of, the relative number of males and females that are available to mate at any moment. So if a female is pregnant, she is not available to mate. According to, you know, making babies. She doesn't count anymore. So a lot of times, females are going to be a limiting resource for males. So they're going to have to compete for it. Unless you have cases where you have sex role reversal. This is when females are larger, more brightly colored than males. Just think of like the seahorse. That's sex role reversal. Where, you know, the females are kind of the males. And the males are the females. It's the reversal. It's the fucking definition of the word reversal. So, because females are often a limiting resource there's going to be male-to-male competition where males interfere directly with each other when it comes to trying to mate. 
And there's three main ways that male-male competition happens. You have male combat, which is exactly what it sounds like. Males trying to fuck each other up. Fights between males. Um, this can lead to alternative mating strategies where males of the same species will use different ways of acquiring mates. So you could get like sneaky males coming in when the two big ones are fighting. Sneaky male can come up and like do, 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 do his thing with the lady while the other ones are distracted. So that's one way. Male combat, fighting. A second way that male-male competition happens is sperm competition. And there's three main ways that sperm competition happens. One is to remove the competitor's sperm. There's some organisms, like insects and shit, that have, like, scoopy penises. Their dicks are scoops. So when they're, like, doing it with the ladybug, not the actual ladybug, but the female bug, like, scoops out the competitor's sperm and, like, I don't know what the fuck it does with it. Just dumps it somewhere. It's gross. But, yeah, actually scoops it out. Um, another way sperm competition happens is by making it more difficult for later males to fertilize the eggs that you're trying to fertilize. And the third way is just make more sperm. Just outnumber them. Just like sperm all over the place. And then the last way that male-male um, -male competition happens is infant infanticide. Infanticide. There we go. The killing of the children of competitors. Happens with lions a bunch. If there's a fight and you have a new, like, headline guy, he's going to kill the babies of the old lion guy because less competition. So, that is one way that males deal with sexual selection is through male-male competition. Another way is by female choice. And what we mean by choice here is going to be any phenotype of the female that biases the type of male that she is going to mate with. That is choice. So with female choice, females are going to choose mates based on secondary sexual traits. And there's four ways that those mating preferences can evolve. And we're going to talk about them all in the next couple minutes. But we have direct effects, pleiotropic effects, good genes, and then my favorite, Fisher's runaway process. So what the fuck are those things? So, direct benefits. Those are resources that increase the female survival and reproductive success. So it's directly benefiting the female. That's going to cause sexual selection in the male. That one's pretty straightforward. That one makes a lot of sense. If I'm going to be more likely to live, if I fuck you, then let's do it. Now, the second way is your pleiotropic effects. And remember, those are alleles where a change in one trait is going to have changes in other traits. So if you have an allele that changes a female's mating preference, that's typically going to change other shit about her as well. And there's a couple different ways that these pleiotropic effects can actually you know, take effect. We can have perceptual biases, and this is when mating preferences evolve by selection on pleiotropic effects. 
And there's other signals that can be picked up, the mating signals, that can arise as side effects on how the courtship signals interact with the environment. So it's not necessarily directly related to the male, it's just how that signal interacts with the environment that the lady finds nice. So, kind of going on, we have got good genes is another way that female choice can affect males in sexual selection, and it's exactly what it fucking sounds like. You have some displays by the males that are correlated with traits that increase their lifetime fitness. So these displays are indicator traits because they indicate to females the male's genetic quality. Like you wouldn't be able to have these things if you were not fit. So it's like the good gene hypothesis that, you know, being super brightly colored and super obvious means you've got to have really good genes because you've got to be able to get away from predators and all that shit because you stand out. So if you were alive and you were really pretty, you got some good genes. And then, like I said, my favorite is Fisher's Runaway. And this happens if the forces of natural selection and sexual selection both favor a trait, then the trait and the preference for that trait are going to evolve. And that leads to an exaggeration of the trait. And the classic example of Fisher's Runaway is the peacock's tail. It's huge. It's kind of fucking pointless. It really increases the chance of not being able to get away from predators, but those eye spots are sexy as hell to the peahens, so that's why they're around. Now, as we break this shit down, when it comes to the direct benefits and the pleiotropic effects, the alleles that affect female mating preferences, they're going to evolve by what's known as direct selection because those alleles also influence survival and reproduction. So they are going to be targets of natural selection themselves. With good genes and Fisher's runaway, the preferences are going to evolve by indirect selection because those alleles evolve because they're correlated with alleles at other loci that are the targets of selection. So direct benefits and pleiotropic effects are directly influenced by natural selection. Good genes and fish runaway, they are indirectly influenced. Now we're going to do a little sidestep here and talk about plants and why the fuck plants have sex. Sexes. Okay, because when you look at it, the vast majority of flowering plants are going to be hermaphrodites. They're hermaphroditic. Which means the operational sex ratio is often going to be male biased because more individuals can be males, can act as males, and donate pollen than they can be females. So pollen acceptors. So just a little thing, the sexual systems of plants are really young. So a lot of people studying all that shit really look at plants to see how that shit's going down. Um, but I'm not the biggest fan of plants, so we're just going to kind of move on and just talk about sex ratios. So with most species that have separate sexes, the ratio is going to be relatively equal at birth. Equal male to female. There are a couple different ways that sex determination happens. 
there is the way that people and mammals and all that shit happen where we have like the sex chromosomes and if you have this set you are male and if you have this set you're female so with humans males are heterogametic which means we have the xy um, females have xx with birds it's kind of the opposite where the female is heterogametic and the males are homogametic but then you have environmental sex determination where the sex is determined by the physical or the social environment things like um reptiles you've ever heard about the clownfish being you know sequential hermaphrodite where once it's big and old then becomes a female that's environmental sex determination and then a lot of insects um, have haplodiploid sex determination where if the egg is fertilized it is female if it is unfertilized and therefore haploid then those are going to be male so just a couple different ways that sex ratios and sex can be determined but all of this brings up the question of why the fuck does sex happen because mathematically if you just sit and think about it it does not make sense because to have males they can't make babies if you keep everything equal the production of males in a sexual population is going to reduce the reproductive potential by a factor of two it's known as the twofold cost of males because they can't make the babies you have two individuals to get one baby now there are species out there that can reproduce by making genetic clones of themselves it's called parthenogenesis so they don't need to have sex and they have asexual species but the problem with asexual species is they have a relatively short life expectancy when you look at the evolutionary time scale and when you compare asexual species to sexual species one of the reasons that things have sex is that sex seems to be a lot more common in species um, that exist in situations where the environment is changing so if the environment changes a lot sex seems to be an advantage um, and one of the reasons for this is recombination so it's possible that the benefits of recombination and getting new combinations of genes can compensate for the twofold cost of males can make up that difference and one of these or sorry this brings me to one of my favorite hypotheses which is the red queen hypothesis it's named after alice in wonderland or through the looking glass or some shit uh, we'll talk about it again in a couple chapters but what the red queen hypothesis says is that all species are in this evolutionary arms race with other species where they've got to evolve as fast as they fucking can just to kind of maintain their spot in the world so as things are constantly evolving that recombination is making new combinations of alleles and giving benefits to organisms that can have sex now speaking of recombination and all that shit you've got to think 
alleles are not selected independently. Their inheritance depends on the rest of the genome on which it's carried. So what can happen is adaptation can be hampered as a result of this, especially if there's not a, not a lot of genetic mixing. And this is known as selective interference. When parts of the genome are affecting how other parts of the genome is inherited. So it's selective interference or the Hill-Robertson effect. And there's three main types of selective interference. There's clonal interference, the Ruby and the Rubbish effect, which has an awesome fucking name, and Mueller's Ratchet. So you might be thinking, what the fuck are those? Well, I'm here to explain. So clonal interference. This happens when two or more beneficial mutations spread through a population at the same time. So they're getting each other's way. That one's pretty straightforward. Ruby and the rubbish effect is really sad. It's a sad sounding one. It's where you have a beneficial mutation, but you're gonna lose it as a result of its linkage to a deleterious mutation. So you've got a really good mutation here that's gonna be super beneficial, but it's linked to a really bad one. And the really bad one is more bad then the good one is good. So it gets thrown out. And then Mueller's Ratchet is this irreversible accumulation of deleterious mutations in an asexual population. It's a ratchet because it, you get one and you can't go back. And then you get two and then you get three and then you get four. And as more of these build up, the more fit individual is the one with the fewest number of mutations but the fewest number of mutations might be five if everybody else has six, seven, eight. And then as things go on, you get the deleterious mutations because most mutations are deleterious. And then suddenly the fewest number of bad mutations is now six when it was five. So selective interference like clonal interference or the ruby and the rubbish effect or Mueller's ratchet are going to be particularly severe in asexual populations because there's no recombination. If you have one of these things happen, it sticks around. Not saying that selective interference never happens in sexual populations, it's just rarer. So, this brings us to kind of the end of everything and selfing, self-fertilization going back to the whole like hermaphrodites are favored because you don't have to worry about finding a mate. Self-fertilization provides that reproductive assurance. But it also kind of defeats some of the benefits of sex. All the shit we just spent 20 minutes talking about. So there is a scheme to prevent selfing. So it allows organisms to kind of, you know, play the field and if nothing's working, then they can just have sex with themselves. Just say, fuck it, I'm just going to do it myself. But if doing it by themselves causes a problem, 
there's a scheme, there's a way to keep that from happening. It's called self-incompatibility. And it involves a locus within their genome where we're talking about a plant here where if the stigma, the lady bits, and the pollen, the boy bits, have an allele at this locus, so it's homozygous at this locus, there's going to be biochemical machinery triggered that's going to kill the pollen. Saying, this is not going to fucking work. So just off this pollen, we'll find one that doesn't have this allele. And this is what happens to prevent this kind of idea of inbreeding depression, which is when you have a loss of fitness in offspring whose parents are close relatives compared to offspring whose parents are unrelated. So this is when you talk about like inbreeding, giving you fucked up kids. That's inbreeding depression. That's pretty much all it comes down to. And that, my friends, is chapter 10, all about sex. Chapter 11, next week, how to be fit, which sounds great. It's going to be good. Um, so, thanks for listening. We're going to get into, the, you know, the end of the show shit. Um, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, all that fun shit. Um, you know, go to Apple Podcasts. Give me a little something. I like to read those. Um, you can follow us on all the social medias. We're at Bio for Bastards on everything. Um, you can join the Patreon. If you want an ad-free version of this, that's available. We got stickers that's part of it. Um, bonus episodes, all that fun shit. Um, and I think that's everything. So I'm just going to stop rambling and wrap up. Our intro and outro music is the song Feeling Good by Purple Planet Music. I have been your host, John Doty. And until next time, thanks for listening. So you may have just heard an ad, but I can't end with an ad. So just wanted to say, follow us on Twitter at Bio4Bastards. Um, our intro and outro music is Feeling Good by Purple Planet Music. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, tell everybody you know about it. And again, thanks for listening.